Hi, I'm Paul Warren. And I'm Ryan Klein. And this is another episode of SEO is Dead and Other Lies. Ryan, how are you doing on this fine day? Doing pretty well, Paul. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> it's going great, man. You know, uh, it's pretty hot here in Orlando. We missed you. Uh, you must be enjoying the fine weather out there in Seattle. So we have a very, very special guest for our podcast today. Um, and I've actually been looking at his site, looking at some of the stuff he's done and listening to some previous podcasts he's been on. And I've been very, very impressed uh, with just what, I, what I've heard and like the knowledge that he has, particularly on the schema side. His name is Jeff Atkinson. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Thanks, Paul. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Huckabye.com. Uh, we're a SEO software company that does a bunch of cool stuff. We automate structured data. We have a product called SEO Cloud. Um, formerly, I was the SVP of marketing at Overstock. And uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time. So great to be here. Uh, so if you're listening out there, this is going to be a little bit of a technical episode. Um, I would say that the last schema episode we did actually did pretty well. So you are really going to get some some good information out of this, especially you know taking advantage of that and kind of how, how things are going to change in the SERPs going forward. And really... Um, how to feed the Google beast, I guess, from, from a technical side. So really, if you're hitting all these things that we're going to be talking about, you're probably going to be doing pretty well. So yeah, let's just sure. dive right into some of these uh, really good questions. So how long have you been um, at Huckabye? Man, I think I've been doing it now for about five and a half years. We actually started as a uh, affiliate site. It was like a comparison shopping engine plus... You could see the prices and you could also see all the coupons. It was a really kind of, it was an SEO play and it was a bad decision because <laughs> at the time Google didn't like affiliate sites at all. So we were totally swimming upstream. It was just a terrible business model in general. And, uh, but we'd built these like pretty cool SEO automation technology that people that knew Huckabye wanted to start licensing. And I honestly didn't even know the value of, you know, a recurring revenue business and what a software business really meant um but we pivoted right into this the software company so we've been doing that for about two and a half years and uh boy that was a good decision <laughs> we're doing great in terms of revenue um you know we it's uh so that's what that's what i'm focused on now i'm the i'm the founder and we're a team here in park city utah yeah so it sounds like it really just was kind of born out of uh really like i guess some some great processes and ideas that you had um, to facilitate that other business, um, which is, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, there, there's, when I mean, you think about how many, how many people have probably like a really good idea like that, that's, that's a part of their daily process, particularly like in the SEO that they never really think about, but you know, it's pretty cool that, that you were able to capitalize on it like that. Yeah, it was cool. You know, I think after it got going, I can't take any credit for like the idea cause it just, uh, sort of became something, but, um, what I realized after starting it and after we pivoted was that there was this huge gap in the SEO world around technical optimization, your conversation technically and directly with Google, and that the typical providers out there, whether they're agencies or consultants, just were sort of scared of this area and just not tackling them, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you guys because you guys are totally willing to tackle them. <laughs> and in my opinion, you know, from my Overstock background, it was such a big site that that was like the, that was the SEO challenge. That was the real thing we had to do was make this website talk to Google. And, and I still think it's a super important part of SEO, if not the most important. And so there was just this big gap um, where 
you know, you could write all the content in the world you wanted, but if you weren't having the right conversation with Google, none of that really mattered. And so I think of Huckabye as really facilitating the best possible conversation with Google that you can have. We talk a lot about what Google's perfect world looks like. Like what does a website look like if it was built for Google and not for humans? And that's really what we try to build our product around. This, this is definitely an interesting topic because I think kind of more your, I don't know, intermediate SEOs, maybe beginning SEOs, just like you got to like do all this stuff for people and, and not just Google. You have to like consideration of like the, you know, the human element, but it's like this stuff is like literally just for Google. So it's just like, this is, you know, no one's looking at this stuff. That's why it's an interesting conversation. It's very. Well, I think it's great. Just, just the name of your podcast, SEO is dead and other lies. Um, <laughs> is so so relevant because you do hear that you also hear you know you hear that seo is dead and that you can't do it anymore because everything's built for you know you got to build everything for humans and to a certain extent that's true but at the end of the day they're a machine and they're a robot and if they can't if the robot can't understand the website nothing good is going to happen and so you do have to have there's some very i wouldn't say rudimentary they're actually quite complex um technical moves you need to make in order to have the proper conversation. And when you have that proper conversation, the results are pretty incredible. Basically you do what Google says you should do. Surprise, surprise. They give you a lot more organic search traffic. So um, I love the title of the podcast. (laughs) Thanks. I'm into it too. I've heard it. Yeah. Since, uh, since I got started, I mean, I I started um, maybe like eight years ago, Paul's about a decade and even when I was starting, it was just like, well, you know, this is a pretty cool industry, but it could be uh, wrapping up any day soon already. And I'm like, oh, that sucks for me. I just got started. Yeah, oh, I've been, hearing, I've been hearing that for 10 years. I think SEO is, yeah, SEO is not going anywhere. It is a huge part of the world economy. How you talk to Google, what Google does with your site. I mean, how much of the world's economy flows through Google? It's got to be enormous. And so I don't see it going anywhere ever. And it's just going to get more and more complicated as, you know, voice search starts expanding more and more. And, you know, there's going to be something after voice search where you, you know you think of something and it searches for it or whatever. And it's, those are all technical challenges that SEO experts will address and technical yeah. SEOs and developers. I think <laughs> VR is like going to be the next thing too. It's like, how do you, how do we serve up you know, ads and things and organic uh, like information in, in VR? Cause eventually that's, it's going to go into that uh, that space as well. Definitely. Totally yeah. And, and augmented reality. And yeah, but it goes into like your, your brain. I mean, of course it's just going to be porn like for days for everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it'll be. Yeah. Like. So but once um, in a while you'll have to buy something off Amazon and then I'll just. So, right um, I know um, just from talking to SEOs and, and working at, at different places, uh, schema is like a really confusing concept to a lot of people. Probably because I think schema.org is a very confusing website. It's not really user-friendly for like the layman, right? There's a lot of information on there and a lot of people don't really know how to implement these things correctly. So they end up using maybe it's in like WordPress, they use some sort of plugin and then like doesn't implement it the way that they want it. Um, so, but you must see this all the time because, uh, you know, this is the main aspect of, of, of what you're helping people with. But what do you think are some of the things that uh, people get wrong on websites all the time? What, oh man, that's a, there's so many things people get wrong on websites all the time. Um, you know, probably the biggest thing that I notice is just how little thought is given towards how does the site respond when a search bot comes and crawls it. Um, you know, 
I argue that in any given day, the most important visitor is that Google bot and what's their experience look like. And you have sites that, you know, how, how long does Google have to hammer home page speed for people to realize that they need to have fast page speed? Um, oh, there's tons of reasons why they want fast page speed. You know, one is that there is a great reason for it when it comes to the users, but they have a very selfish reason for wanting page speed to be fast. And that is that every second that they're waiting for a page to load, they're not crawling and gathering information and they'll leave, right? They'll, if the page is slow to load or a site slow to load, they'll just leave and take off. And that's not good for either side. It's not good for Google because they're not getting all the information. And it's not good for um, this company because they're not getting properly indexed. So I, I, I generally think, and another you know, misnomer I think is that people talk all the time about the sort of conflict between a site that's well-designed for users and a site that's well-designed for SEO. I think a site I've learned and my experience has been a site that's designed really well for SEO converts way better than almost any site you can AB test for users. And it's because you're literally giving people what they want. You know, you're architecting the navigation, for example, based on keywords that people are searching for. So it's easy for them to find what they want using the terms that they use. Um, so I think there's this disconnect that SEO is in, in a battle with the user experience, I actually think that SEO is simply building a site, giving the users what they want. And so how could that not be a great user experience? And I even know this from Overstock, when we do stuff strictly for SEO, conversion rates would jump, they get better. Um, so I think that's a big, uh, a big issue that people, one, don't think about what's the bot's experience when they come to the site. We just care about what the user experience is. We spend tons of money and tons of time on UI, UX. Well, what's the Google experience look like? And then secondly, that they're different, that they're different things. And in fact, I think they're quite similar. You build a site really well for SEO, it's going to be great for users as well. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I think, you know, Google spends a lot of time uh, building a, a good experience for humans, right? I mean, it's a, it's a search engine that humans go to. So their end result yeah. is, is a positive experience for humans. So in a roundabout way, if you're making a good experience for Google, you're going to give a good experience to, to people. I completely agree. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what they want, right? They want they they have a single purpose, and that's to organize the world's information and serve it up to human beings in the best way possible. And a site that serves them well serves users well. Yeah. So one one thing about site speed, though, because this made me think about it. Um, and like you were saying, like a lot of people don't do what Google just tells you to do, right? Um, <laughs> and I think if you know if you were to Google. Uh, site speed optimization, you'd probably get served, you know, something from Rand Fishkin from like Moz, and then there'd probably be a Neil Patel article in there. And then someone took all of those top, uh, those pages and they like tested them for site speed. Um, and none of them were like optimized for it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's a way around that now. Well, not totally, but, uh, yeah, site speed's an interesting one. I can't say I wouldn't go to Huckabye right now and probably test our site speed, although it's getting a lot better. But uh, one of the things that's, and I'd love to talk about this, I don't know how much you guys know about dynamic rendering, but there is this huge movement that like is not even a movement because no one's following it, but it's a huge opportunity. And it's something called dynamic rendering where you can actually make a version of your site just for Google. And they support that now and they're big fans of it and like no one's adopting it. And they've almost like thrown their hands up in the air and said, 
you're never going to listen to us. The front end's always going to be really difficult. You're going to have tons of dynamic content. Their page speed is going to be awful. So just give us a version that we can handle and crawl and index and understand. No one really has listened to this. Fortunately, I have a really smart CTO that picked this up like the day that they announced it. But that's what our whole SEO cloud product is about, is let's build that perfect Google crawl experience in a version of the website and host it in a caching layer, making everything instantly available and just give them that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the, the people don't listen as much as, for how much, you know, to an earlier comment about how much of the world's economy flows through Google, for it to be that important, it's amazing how many people, how, how little people listen to what they want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a great um, tip about dynamic rendering. I mean, when, when you really think about the websites that, that like Google like really wants, I mean, they want like something simple. You look at like Wikipedia, right? Yeah. Oh, that's that's my number one example in sales calls. I say, what's the perfect website for Google? It's Wikipedia. It's flat HTML, loads super fast, great content, obviously, that's generated by users. That's what they want. They want yeah, a like, simple experience. Like HTML rich content, super simple, super fast. Yeah. So if, if you have the option of doing that, which we all do, um, mm -hmm. I don't know why more people aren't taking advantage of it. I, I guess it's just lack of knowledge from about it from like the industry, probably. I think it's a big technical problem. I don't think it's lack of knowledge. I think um, maybe it is. Maybe people just don't know about it. But I think once you hear about it, it's like, how do we do this? And that's a really big technical problem um, that fortunately, you know, Huggabye set out to solve it. And we did, um, which I think is really amazing IP that I think everybody should be taking advantage of. But yeah, I, I think it's just a technical problem that like, like think about it. If you have a WordPress site and you're, you know, you're turned into a big software company or whatever, you got a Shopify site and you end up becoming this big e-commerce player the sites get really complicated. And so to take six to nine months and just say, all right, we're going to build the perfect version of this site for Google and ignore the human interaction for nine months or six months or whatever it is. Who, what kind of CMO, what CMO is going to sign off on that? Like I would do it from my overstock days, but I think I thought about things a lot differently than most CMOs who would, who would do that deal um, or even, think of doing that it's very rare and so we've provided a solution to try to solve that you know they can get on seo cloud and have that perfect anybody can get on seo cloud and have that perfect interaction with google in like three weeks but it is a big technical hurdle it's hard to do um and i think that's why we don't see it happening very often yeah i know i work in a a, a space with a, a very large website it's in the franchise space and so i was just thinking about like man how how i would have to explain that like doing that all in house um, and like the amount of time and like that it would take from like the dev team and everything uh, to like yeah. our stakeholders. And I was like, man, I don't even want to walk in the room with that. You know? <laughs> yeah, no one would. Um, the same with us, our customers that use this, they get the most benefit from SEO cloud end up being really big. I mean, everybody gets benefit, but like SAP uses it and SAP. Can you imagine how complicated that website is and all the business requirements that are put on SAP.com? They had a page that had like over a hundred tags on it, like JavaScript tags on it. And so they knew all the technical people knew that it was a huge problem, but to fix it themselves, I don't, they really didn't even think about doing that. And where would they begin? 
but when they heard it, so actually SAP was our very first customer on S on SEO cloud, which my CTO absolutely hated because it's a huge company and it was sure. still in beta. And I literally drew this up on the whiteboard for them and they bought it. Uh, but they recognized the problem. And so, and we had a very easy solution for them. So it does, you're right. It's, it's like, where do you even begin to do that internally? And do you even want to fight for it? Because you, you know, companies are political and it's such a nasty problem that it could go wrong very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Speaking about uh, WordPress websites, <laughs> as we know that there's uh, millions, if not tens or hundreds of millions of uh, WordPress websites and uh, you know, they've, it's come a long way for SEO and um, but you know, nowadays, and we're talking about it and especially with your background, you know how bloated it is with code, you know how it's notorious for, you know, load speed and for crawling. Um, is it, is it just not, you know, a good idea if, if you're planning on making a website that's just, you know, hundreds or thousands of pages, is it even feasible for a company to be able to alter the uh, framework nowadays for structured data or crawling? Yeah, um, this is probably the best way to put it. So I think WordPress is actually great. Huckabye.com is on WordPress. You can get a long way without really any technical chops. Um, but there are then, when you get bigger, there are serious limitations. So essentially the product of WordPress is targeted to non-technical people. So non-technical people can build a site, they can build a blog, whatever they want, and they can get a very far away. The problem is, is that there's information, there's data that technical people have access to, like the developers, um, that WordPress can't have access to. And that's when it becomes a problem. So say you have um, whatever it is that you want to display on a page or you want something to, to get pulled in and WordPress doesn't have a plugin or whatever built for it. Or even if they do, it might be a janky plug plugin that slows down page speed or all sorts of things. Once you sort of eclipse a certain point, there's information that you're going to want to pull into the site. There's page speed issues um, and things that technical people would, can pull off that Word, the WordPress platform literally just can't. Um, but it does get you so far down the field that it's worth it at an early stage. So I think my, my biggest takeaway about WordPress is that it, it is targeted for non-technical people. And so you can get a long way without development. But then there comes a certain point where you have great engineers and you have great people that can work on the front end. And they're very limited by WordPress. Um, and that's when they can, you know, kind of take over and take you to the next level where you're, you know, have a site like Overstock or Amazon or eBay or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, you can't, you know, you just can't run uh, at a certain point with them. And then there are obviously uh, SEO issues with with a WordPress site. Um, we've done with Huckabye, uh, we're on WordPress, but we have, uh, we use our own product, obviously. So we have SEO Cloud and um none of those sort of crawl issues are, are an issue for us because we have that in place. Okay. So, so Yoast and all in one, it ain't cutting it for all your SEO stuff. <laughs> all that stuff. Um, yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's a cool tool and it gets you again, it gets you pretty far down the path. Um, not if, you know, if you really care about SEO and you realize that it's a big, important part of your business and it's what drives the top line and all sorts of things. You don't want to be reliant on a, on a plugin that can fail and, um, you know, bloat the code on your site and stuff like that. 
I always, you know, one of the things that's shocking to me is I always thought of SEO as like a really core competency at Overstock. So I was like, this is what we're, we're better than our competition at. And this is what makes us better. And you think about how many companies are dependent, so dependent on SEO, and yet they don't consider SEO a core competency or put money towards it or put hire developers or hire whatever. Um, it's kind of mind boggling. And so they, you do end up with these companies with a very dependent revenue channel through SEO. It could be like 60, 75% of you know, mil- hundreds of millions of dollars and that they're relying on Yoast plugins <laughs> to, <laughs> to get the job done. Instead of I guess it is a little frightening, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of terrifying, probably, actually. <laughs> it's super terrifying. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we talk to huge public companies all the time and a bunch of them are customers and you'd be shocked at, like at Overstock, I had something like 40 something people working on SEO and at least more than half of them were developers. So we, we invested super heavily and it was, you know, $300 million worth of revenue. So why wouldn't you, you literally can't spend enough compared to any other channel, but you look at a fidelity, for example, we try to talk and get in at fidelity. They don't even have a person to talk to. (laughs) They don't have a human being to talk to about SEO, which, you know, kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we work with medium size to, I mean, I work with a, with a large company, but you know, Ryan's uh, client base is more medium sized to smaller businesses. Yeah, uh, that so is correct. That local is, is a huge aspect of it. And there's a lot of things, you know, that we would just always recommend um, from, from a structured data standpoint to, to have on your site. Um, mm-hmm. So what are some quick wins that you would give just really for any site out there um, to implement right away that could see like maybe an increase in, increase in click throughs or a, potentially even an increase in, in rankings? Yeah. Um, the first step is always just to make sure that the information is available. So say you're a local business and you have, even if you just have one location or you have two locations, make sure that there's a page dedicated to that location so that you can display all the information that's necessary for the structured data. You can display reviews, you can display, ima- display images, all sorts of things like that. Um, that's always kind of the first step I recommend with smaller businesses is to mm-hmm what is the information that's really important from a structured data perspective, which often they don't really dig into. And so, you know, you guys would probably help them with this, but what is the information that's sort of critical and that Google really wants? And let's make sure the sites architected so that we are at least, even if we're just displaying it in the HTML, we're displaying it. And then let's layer the structured data on top of it. Probably the biggest mistake I see with local businesses is that they don't have that. They don't think to put, a page on their site for each location that describes the the location and what they're doing. And so that's sort of step one, I think is to what would be important for this small business? What does Google care about? And are we displaying in a way that then we can layer on structured data so that Google, when they come in are like, yes, I got it. I got all the information I need about small business. Google is their revenue future is dependent on small business. So they're going to do everything they can to enable small businesses to be successful on Google and structured data obviously is speaking their language. So if you layer good structured data, good reviews, all the best practices on a small business, it can take off faster than a enterprise customer can because they are really trying to absorb and display this information. It's really a critical part of their own business model. And so, they're behind it. Yeah. Speaking, speaking about local, um, especially, and since we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, the voice component, 
Um, I kind of want your take about the future of voice search and how it, you know, it applies to some of the local businesses. Uh, do you, do you uh, feel like we're definitely going in that direction in 2019 and beyond? And is there uh, any structured data for voice right now? So Google came out at their last Google IO and said that uh, voice is almost completely based on structured data. And what's interesting about it is the difference between voice and desktop or mobile is you don't get back the 10 blue links, you get one answer back. So there's a win or lose situation. You're either number one or you're gone. And it is very dependent on structured data because this was a great explanation that someone on my team came up with about um, voice search. If you make a voice search, the only time, and we actually have a bunch of Google Home devices in our office because we think it's the future and we test them out all the time. And they're actually really kind of pathetic. Like there's not a lot of things that you can ask it and it gives you a good answer. The things that do give you a good answer are all because the industry is caught up to structured data and are doing it. So if you ask the Google device, any Google device, how to make a margarita, it'll walk you step by step by step through how to make it. But if you ask it, what's the best you know, customer review software platform, it's gonna have a hard time if there's no site that's providing structured data. So the, the answers that are being provided are literally when you see a rich card on a result on a search query, all it's doing is just reading back to you the rich card. And so I think as voice search, so right now, what's interesting about voice search is it's like anything, you know, it's going to take some time to adopt. So people right now feel comfortable doing certain things through voice search. They might be able to be comfortable asking about a movie time or even maybe booking a movie ticket. But what percentage of tickets are, are being purchased through voice search? Probably pretty small. Will it be a lot higher in two years? Absolutely it will. When will people start feeling comfortable buying insurance through voice search? Pretty much zero today. In two years, in five years, it'll be a percentage. So it, it is, it's not a question of whether or not it's moving that direction. It definitely is. It's just how fast is it moving. And Google is very dependent on structured data to be able to provide a good experience. So we're trying to really get out ahead of that. And I think customers and sites that have really good structured data are going to start reaping the benefits of that, you know, that one answer versus 10 links uh, situation. Because in five years, imagine it, uh, voice search is a really big deal. There's only ones that are going to win. So now all of a sudden, instead of 10 links, it's just one answer back. That's such a big change to the SEO landscape. Um, and we want to be, you know, as far ahead of that as possible. I don't even feel particularly, you know, I'm a tech guy and I don't feel comfortable. I don't, really don't use voice search very much. Um, I'm, I do in the office and I kind of force myself to, to, to understand it, but I wouldn't buy a product or I, you know, I'm not there yet. Um, but this younger generation, as they get older and, you know, it's, it's just, it's a thing that is definitely to be reckoned with. And I think like any SEO movement or any SEO, like directionally, you just want to be out ahead of it. Um, and that's, you know, what we're trying to do at Huckabye is just be out ahead of what's happening. Yeah, so that that kind of leads a little bit into my my next question. Um, is you know we we all saw mobile overtake desktop. You know, I remember mm -hmm. the start of a big day when when that happened. Do you think that we'll see a time when voice search overtakes mobile? 
or desktop? Um, I think we will. It might not be in our lifetime, though. It probably will. Um, what's wild about it is it, it you know, the uh, adoption can be slow at first, and then it can happen, like, all at once. Mm-hmm. So... I think a lot of it relies on how the adoption of structured data to make the user experience better, um, where you can get all the information and answers that you want. And w- the only reason that adoption I think is low is that there isn't a wonderful experience yet. Like you don't know if you're going to get the best price. You don't know what the reviews are. And so there's a lot of sort of, uh, I even think about, you know, will there that that problem of just one result, will you be able to say next result, next result? Like how will, how will we search? Cause it's a totally different behavior than just typing on a computer. Yeah. So I think, I think it, at, at some point it's going to become very comfortable and easy for people, myself and you guys to be able to execute most of the things that we do on google.com through a voice device and get what we want. I don't think it's close to being there yet, but at some point it's going to get as easy, if not easier than opening up the computer and typing in a search. And at that point, look out. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it switches, right? That's when It'll it... at least be more volume than Bing. <laughs> so, oh, God. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, Bing, no, Bing is on its way back. Come on, we know this. Oh, yeah, we, we did talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's definitely an interesting point. I mean, I, I mean, mobile, I think, really started to take off when you know phones and, and networks could finally like load pages in a, in exactly. a timely manner. And even if you talk to to people at Google, I mean, they weren't even prepared for uh, the way that mobile took over, like it like it did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys, I don't know how old you guys are, but I like had a Palm Pilot, and <laughs> good luck. Like you'd never. Why would you take the stylus out and start? tapping and hunting with your stylus for letters to search for stuff it just wasn't it didn't work and then the iphone all of a sudden was like well this is so much more convenient i can be anywhere and search for anything and i was a proud blackberry user uh, at one point in time so (laughs) i totally understand um so do you think uh so voice search being that there's only one spot you know it's it's pretty much a zero-sum game there um what do you think affects the rankings for that? Is it just the number one spot and like organically and then having the correct markup for it? So I think right now the way it works is that they basically look for the highest domain authority and best, you know, best, uh, score that has structured data and then they give them the number one response. It's, I think it's very similar to the desktop search and what you get with rich cards. Mm. but it reads the rich cards earlier. Um, so it's weighted more structured data is weighted more um, because otherwise, you know, it's the janky experience, like the Siri experience. And they're like, let me Google that. And it just reads like the number one result back. So I think that's kind of how it works now, but I think it's going to get um, a lot more complex and a lot. Uh, it's going to be its own algorithm for sure. It already is. And uh, it's going to be dialed like everything Google does. It'll be uh, well tested and well thought through and they'll put a ton of money and developers behind it and they'll try to be, you know, this is really the window that's open for other search engines to, to possibly compete. Um, and Google's just not going to let that happen in my opinion, but this is a window for them to say, you know, Apple to be able to provide a better voice search feature than, than Google does. But um, my money's on Google figuring it out. 
Yeah, I, I definitely have a theory, and I think I've mentioned this in other podcasts, hopefully not multiple times. I mean, we talk about site speed probably every fourth or fifth podcast, but I probably only mentioned this about just once. But um, there's definitely going to have to be its own algorithm or AI or logic to really give you that definitive one result um, mm -hmm. without a doubt. So they have to use different logic because it has to be the most accurate. You know, when it, you do a search on anything else, of course, you have 10 results or more, 13 with ads or maps and whatnot. So yeah, this is like their chance to like, man, I can't screw this up. So my theory is, um, especially for local, is that do people definitely do use um, modifiers like best or top or, you know, something along those lines when searching for local services or maybe even products. So my theory is local businesses that, you know, on Google get reviews. It's basically going to be like, if someone says, what's the best ice cream parlor by me? It's going to go to the maps and it's basically going to look for whoever has the most reviews, uh, you know, best quality and quantity and give that result. Yeah. That or they'll go to like a paid, a paid format for it. Through mm -hmm. Google My business. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think one thing that's um, interesting to think about too, is it's not just what result they pick. It's what the result looks like. So uh, the result of a voice search, how it comes back to a user will be quite different in the future than what a Google search response looks like. So you can't just show a map or you can't just start reading. You want to actually answer the person's question in some valuable way. So I think that's something that they're struggling with and working on is what is a perfect voice result look like in the form of its own result, you know, coming back to the user. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cause there's like so many ways to look at it. If someone says, best, you know, something, you know, this is the best, you know, has a thousand reviews and a perfect 5.0, but it's 10 miles away. But this one is a 4.8 and it's pretty close, but it's right down the block. So it's just the end of the level when you start thinking about it. It's just like yeah, the logic think, that goes uh, a little bit. Yeah. Like the, the doors open on who's going to be the best at it. Cause there's a lot of technical hurdles to figure out. Yeah. And then I think depending on the space that you're in, I mean, your money, your life, uh, that, that hit a lot of places pretty hard. Um, you know, a lot of websites and you got to imagine a good amount of those questions people are asking, you're going to be related to those things. Um, mm -hmm. So how does that like play into that too? You know, like what sites are they going to pick that from that have it? Um, Cause like there's so much confusion even right now. Uh, and, and like the kind of the medical space, um, you know, particularly like the rehab, which I came from at my, at my last job um, mm -hmm. of, you know, how you're going to serve up trustworthy content. And then yeah. that that's just another layer to add on to it interesting time it's always it's been interesting i don't know about you guys but i love being part of i think it's incredible what's happened since like i started at overstock in 2005 right out of college and see what's happened since 2005 to 2019 is super cool what's going to happen from 2019 to 2050 is going to be just as interesting if not more um, huge technical huge technical problems that we're pushing, you know, it's all, it's like the wild west. It's, it's not the wild west. It's more regulated now, but it's going to be very interesting to see how we solve these issues. Oh, I was going to say, now. you remember the real wild west days. Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah. You could rank uh, Squiddy articles and uh, for affiliate stuff back in the day. <laughs> I only yeah. got a taste of that life. <laughs> yeah. I was at the tail end of it. You could still do, you know, I remember Google would still tell you exact, the exact keywords people were searching. Um, and Google Analytics, and uh, I remember like slowly seeing that go away to like not provided. Um, <laughs> build, you know, you could build directory links all day, and it would work. And those are great times, were they? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, you guys know the company Conductor. I hope I'm I'm kind of 
kind of throw them under the bus here, but they're, they're actually a great company, but their first business model was they would buy ad space on the top, you know, New York times, um, Yahoo with no tracking parameters. And you could just buy links. You could buy a link from the homepage of the New York times through conductor. Crazy. <laughs> um, I love that. that was, and they were like just printing money. Um, and then that, that ended abruptly, but yeah, it's, it, it was kind of wild. Um, the overstock days was, it was a, it was a hell of a run and I don't, you know, you really can't almost do that anymore, but it's, you know, it was cool to be a part of. Yeah. So our, our listeners are definitely listening to this point in the podcast and wondering uh, how, how can they um, exploit structured data? No, uh, in all reality, I'm not really sure if there's anything that you can do. <laughs> exploit. You're just doing it right, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you've obviously been to schema.org. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you feel about like the, the resources on that site and how it is as a site? Do you feel like uh, it's a, I mean, it, technically it's like a great resource, but do you feel like it's a good place to start if you're like new to structured data? I think it's a great place to get the concept, perhaps. I mean, it's so sort of, uh, maybe even not, I don't know. I always point people towards um, Google's own documentation. So one of the things that's interesting about schema, one is that they don't actually use the schema.org repository. They use the JSON-LD repository. So that's a little inside tip. Yeah, that I ran into an issue with that just the other day, actually, and uh, where yeah. they just didn't match up. So schema.org is almost so academic and so technical that it doesn't take into account any of the real business value of schema. I think Google's documentation around structured data is really the, the, the source to get started because it actually will help you realize the business value of using structured data. Schema, no, they don't do anything. <laughs> In fact, it probably turns people off on it because it's so technical and unless you're, you know, really deep, you're a structured data expert that does this for a living, I think you'd have an incredibly hard time getting started there. I'd point people towards uh, Google's own documentation and trying to figure out what the business value is for someone and um, start and go from there. Makes you almost think what the point of schema.org is. is Well, yeah, it's a bit outdated now. (laughs) I mean, if you really want to contribute to structured data, and I I actually don't call it schema. Um, I call it either markup, structured data markup is the, the official term. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we would not, so we've actually, with our customers, come up with uh, object types that we would like to introduce. They would never get done through schema.org. It does get done through the JSON LD uh, org- you know, organization. And they, they're the ones that really um, decide what, what happens and what doesn't. Schema, yeah, it really doesn't um, impact things that much. Gotcha. And so if people want to implement structured data, are there generators out there? Um, are there any plugins, auto generators, templates that you trust at all? Or is it kind of like you have to do it custom every time? You know, I actually, I'm not the best person in the world because to ask that question because we have a competing product, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's completely. <laughs> ask Paul. So, Paul, what do you? <laughs> there, I'll tell you though. There are, um, you know, there's the Yoast plugin. There's the uh, the Google Structured Data Helper, I think it's called, um, and they'll get you going. You know, I think that's they'll get you going. Um, they're they're 
they're not the best solutions, but they'll get you started. And uh, I do encourage, I think the more people that adopt structured data, the more sites that do, the better. It's better for everybody. It's better for Google. It's better for Huckabye. Um, and so I'm a big proponent. I'd probably start start there. But there, you do reach a point where you're like, oh, man, I really need an expert or a, a developer that's almost dedicated to this. And the other aspect of it is it changes. It changes a lot. So structured data is being, you know, I say there's two fundamental algorithm changes over the last five years that almost every single algorithm update it do, just doesn't go away. You might even actually 10 years, forget five years. One is mobile. Every algorithm has gotten more mobile friendly and structured data. And usually the enhancements to the structured data are pretty complex. And so if you do use some of those tools and something change, changes, it breaks, um, which is a bad thing. So, but it's a great place to get started. And uh, I encourage people to sort of test it out and see what it does. I can give you some statistics. Like the, I remember early days when Matt Cutts would talk about structured data and say, it has no rankings impact. It's just for the rich cards and click through rate. Give me a break. That's just so not true. Well, nothing you said uh, was. <laughs> so it yeah. Matter. I mean, generally just go to the SERPs and then look at them. And it's about the opposite. A lot of times is what my cats used to say. So, you yeah. know, well, just think about the level of detail that Google would understand a site that has good structured data versus them just crawling the HTML. There's going to be all these new keywords that the site ranks for. There's going to be all sorts of understanding that Google gets by absorbing that information. And that's going to do something to their algorithm. Um, and what we've seen is it has a pretty dramatic impact on, on the overall traffic. Yeah. Uh -huh. I can't imagine it's just how the results are presented. It has to be like just going back to giving Google what it wants. I don't see how it isn't. Yeah. Take like a complicated site like Salesforce. So Salesforce is a customer of ours. Very fortunately, they're a great customer. So they're not organized. This is the interesting thing about B2B software. I know we're running a little long, so I'll try to be quick here. Oh, you're good. But the think about an overstock for an Amazon. These sites are structured in a way. So they have these really well-described categories like men's watches, for example. They're all the same format. All the categories are the same format. And surprise, surprise, they have men's watches in them. You get to a product page, those are all the same format. They've got a product name and a description and a price, reviews. And in fact, an overstock on Amazon is gonna have this huge product API going back to Google that contains all of their product information. When you get to a company like Salesforce or SAP or something like that, that's not e-commerce or travel or uh, real estate, all that structure goes out the window. So they'll get, they know that Salesforce is super important. They know that the domain authorities in the 90s, they want to know everything they can about Salesforce. But the structure of the site does not lend itself for Google to understand. So take a site like that and then layer structured data on top saying, hey, Google, this is a software application. Here's what it does. Here's what it integrates with. They're dying for that type of information about Salesforce. And so and structured data ends up being this fabulous mechanism to, to communicate a software site with Google. And they're going to get all sorts of information that they never even knew before. And that's going to have a huge impact. And a lot of B2B businesses are like that, that aren't, they just don't lend themselves for Google to understand them really clearly. And that's actually out of our customer base. Those B2B software sites grow like crazy when we layer structured data on top. 
because Google's thirsting for that information and they just don't have a way of capturing it. And structured data ends up being this great way to do it. Well, so you, you heard it here first. Content and links are no longer king. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say uh, links still matter a lot. What I'm, I'm always amazed at just people spinning their wheels on content, though. It's like they just write content for content's sake, it seems like, and just think something's magically going to happen. And so if uh, somebody wanted to, uh, to get in touch with you and learn more about uh, your products, uh, where would you do that at? Yeah, huckabye.com would be the best place. Just come to our site. You can read more about what we do. Fill out a, um, a contact us form, um, and we'll get in touch with you right away. If you put my name in it, I'll uh, make sure that I, I get in touch with you personally. And uh, if you really want, you know, it's just Jeff, G-E-O-F-F at huckabye.com. Um, you guys have a smart audience, so I'd love to hear from from your folks and help them and, and help them down the, the future of SEO. I think it's a way different landscape than it used to be, and I'm really excited about it. I think Huckabye is well-positioned. I think you guys are thinking about it the right way. Um, it is a different world than it used to be, and um, and we're helping people you know, get through that world and, and make sure that they're ahead of the curve. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, uh, you know, in my... Uh, in my professional life, like right now, like this is one of the more important things. So even yeah. outside of our listeners, like I'm getting a lot of great value out of this podcast. <laughs> I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I've, I've absorbed some of your content and I was just like, these guys get it. And so once in a while, you know, I come across someone that's just like, yep, that's the future. That's what we got to be doing. And you already were there before we even talked. So hopefully you learned something and the viewers learned something and, um, I just really enjoy these conversations because they're rare for me. You know, they, they don't happen every day. So when they do happen, I get really excited. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I'm sure you have a good team, a lot of smart people working there too. But, uh, but yeah, it's yeah, funny. Next time you should have our CTO on. Uh, he's way smarter than I am. And he'll, if you really want to get technical about SEO, I don't know someone that knows what Google's up to better than he does. Um, he's my guy. I told you guys, I reached out to him before this podcast to help me answer your questions. His name's Chase, and, and sometime, if you really want to geek out, he's the guy to talk to. Nice. I thought it was to say, uh, his name is Matt Cutts, and uh, actually, this is uh, where he ended up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I pulled him from Conductor. He's a great guy. It's yeah. uh, you mentioned Conductor, man. I, like, uh, I worked at a company um, for like a couple of years, and they, um, they, had, they tested between Bright Edge and Conductor at the same time. And I got to go to like uh, C3, like their event and stuff in New York, um, but yeah, I didn't know like uh, that's how how they started doing that back in the day. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, I love your guys's take on Bright Edge and Conductor. Um, they're not they're kind of competitors in that they're SEO software, but they do totally different stuff. Um, Especially like, now, though, too. Like, like uh, Conductor's, I think, a lot more sophisticated than what Bright Edge really is out of the box. Yeah, um, yeah. It's good but, to hear. I it's been a bit since I checked in on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's one of those things that's like, um, if you have a really large team and you have a lot of, um, a lot of variety and skill level on that team, like maybe it's something that you look at and you're really going full into like content marketing, but, uh, you know, there's, there's downsides to both of them. And I don't, I don't generally recommend them at the, at the price point unless you, you're the kind of business that can afford it. And that's, that's sort of your mission, you know? Yeah. It's good hearing about this too. Cause it's, we're trying to always give our uh, clients the edge and structured data, something that we, we, we execute, but 
after this conversation sounds like we're dabbling <laughs> it sounds like it's a lot, it's definitely a little yeah, bit i have like i took notes man there's like so i'm like i gotta i gotta check this out now i gotta go to that so <laughs> um it was really really good really really good info actually uh jeff uh, thanks for for coming on the show and talking to us for so long we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this um if you guys have any questions out there for jeff uh you can hit uh, us up at seos dead and otherwise at gmail.com you know we respond to questions pretty quickly and be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, and you know, if, if you're interested in being on or just interested in, in anything at all question-wise, uh, SEO-related, you know, uh, we respond real quick, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Well said, as always, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thank Ryan. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Uh, great to meet you both, and I have a feeling that we're going to be, uh, we're like new friends or something. We'll, we'll be in touch. <laughs> right on. Absolutely. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm Paul Warren. And I'm Ryan Klein. And this is another episode of SEO is Dead and Other Lies. Goodbye. Bye.